0: Thieves often steal to make money, whereas art forgers often steal and swindle to get revenge. In today's episode, we're going to learn about Eric Heburn Who was he? What did he do? And most importantly, what happened to him? In fact, how did he die? Welcome to Don't Even Ask. Eric Hepburn was born in 1934 to a poor British family. He had a difficult upbringing and was often abused by his parents. Eventually, he started getting into trouble of his own. He set fire to his school and was sent to a reform school after. Despite his academic difficulties, his teachers noticed that he was a very talented artist. After honing in on these skills, Heborn made it to the Royal Academy and was awarded a scholarship to study in Rome. It seemed like art was the thing that helped him turn his life around. While in Rome, he began an apprenticeship under George Askell, who worked in picture restoration. Being able to clean and retouch paintings was only part of the skill needed for the job. He improved old paintings by augmenting them and then even adding a few of his own personal touches. Once he was finished, his pictures went straight into gold frames and sent out of the studio to dealer galleries and auctions. These sales often resulted in Axel making five times as much as the painting was originally worth. It was hard work, but the prices clearly paid off. As Hepburn decided to work on his own, he grew very tired with the effort required of him. He realized that rather than working very carefully with old paintings, He could just get old paper and craft pigments comparable to those used by artists in the past, and voila, the art forger in him was born. He began to produce enough of these fake works of art to sell them to wealthy collectors and even high-end museums, such as the British Museum and the Smithsonian. By the time his career as an art forger had ended, Heborn claimed to have produced about 1,000 fake drawings. Though, as we learned in our last episode, all good thieves must come to an end. In 1978, a curator noticed that a painting in Pierpont Morgan Museum was identical to one in the National Gallery. When looking back at their records, it was clear that Hepburn sold both of these. As suspicions of forgery grew, his reputation was destroyed. But rather than retiring or lying low, he vowed to sell 500 more drawings. This wasn't going to stop him. In a future autobiography titled Drawn to Trouble, Hebron claims that he achieved this goal. Experts say there's no reason to doubt this claim. He was good at what he did because all of his fraudulent representations and reproductions were diverse. He had the rare ability to imitate styles of various artists throughout the ages. Though, if he could lie about something like forgery, who's to say he can't lie about anything else? As I said before, art forgers aim for revenge. Obviously, the abundance of money he ran into was a plus, but he thrived off of the fact that many collectors were greedy and they didn't even look very closely into his paintings. It's even possible that he, like many other forgers, put some sort of personal twist on the painting, almost trying to give themselves away. This reminds me of serial killers who taunt the police with letters. It's almost like they want to get caught, but they won't let themselves give up that easily. Art forgery may seem like a less serious crime in the sense that no one's getting hurt and often the common person is not the one getting duped. However, Heborn's fakes have altered experts' understanding of art history. There could be multiple fakes of his out there that we don't even know about. Fakes that we think are the real deal. Heburn wrote a few books about his thoughts and perceptions. Once he was outed, he wasn't afraid to be honest. He claimed that his work is not fake because a drawing is a drawing. He said, pictures don't lie, people do. He published a book titled "Il Manuel del Fasario, or in English, The Faker's Handbook, complete with instructions on how to forge and market fakes. A couple weeks later, however, his career was brought to a close. At the age of 61, in 1996, Eric Hebborn was found unconscious lying on his street in Rome. They rushed him to the hospital, but unfortunately, they were not able to revive him. Italian authorities conducted an autopsy to determine the cause of his death. He did not appear to be mugged as he had his wallet on him, but they did note that he had a skull fracture due to blunt force trauma. Did someone do this to him, or did he fall? It's possible that he had a stroke. Reports say that he wasn't in the greatest of health, so even though 61 is still fairly young in terms of death, these health conditions couldn't have been ruled out completely. Others say that the injury was caused by a hammer to the back of the head. So which is it? To this day, no one's really sure how he died, though murder seems to be the most accepted theory. Is it possible that someone knows the answer and they're not releasing the information? Did they assume that a crime done to a criminal was warranted? I mean, after doing some digging of my own, I found an article from The Guardian stating that he could have been tied to the Mafia. In 2019, two scriptwriters secured rights to create a miniseries TV drama on the life of Eric Heborn. In order to get the most accurate information, they reached out to some of his closest friends, friends who have never spoken in public about this before. I suppose enough time has passed that some answers may finally come to light. As Heborn became increasingly desperate for money, even after he was outed, it appeared that he worked under suspicious circumstances just to keep up with his fast-paced and luxurious lifestyle. Heborn supposedly confided to his friends that he feared something violent would happen to him as he was receiving threats, and this was right before his death. The filmmakers also learned that his flat was ransacked immediately after his death, assuming there was some link to threats. Maybe the perpetrator was trying to get rid of any incriminating evidence. I couldn't find any information about what the show is going to be called, or even if there's any word about moving forward with the production, but I'd be curious to see what we would learn if the show were to come out. It would definitely be something that I would be interested in watching. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Don't Even Ask. As always, it would be appreciated if you subscribe and leave a review. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, tell a friend. I'd love to have more people discover this show. You can find us on Instagram at Don't Even Ask Pod. Until next time, ciao.